0: Uh, for the last couple of weeks, uh, we have been in this series that we call calling it "Nailed It." And if you've attended First Church uh, throughout uh, 2023, um, earlier this year we did a series. Our campus pastors led us through a study in the book of Colossians. And in the midst of that study, when we got to Colossians chapter two, there was uh, there was a passage that really stu- stood out. And so we actually, as a congregation, took the opportunity to to move from our seats and and physically um, we wrote on a piece of paper um, maybe a sin or something that we struggle with, and we nailed that to the cross. And this was the passage that that activity was based out of, coming out of Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Paul says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so as we did that, as we came forward, and if you remember that day, um, our campus pastors then took those pieces of paper, and they, um, they kind of found three, um, three categories that many of those things fell into. And uh, so then they said, hey, let's have a series that we call Nailed It to remind ourselves of the things that Jesus has already provided forgiveness for, yet maybe it's something that we are still struggling with. And so two weeks ago, we talked about guilt and shame. And how that weighs weighs us down and can and really grip us. Last week we discussed the available freedom from fear and anxiety and worry. And then a couple weeks ago, Pastor David sent me an email, and I just want to read it to you. He said, he said, Pastor Adam, he said, "Um, I would like you to preach on the, the last Sunday of the Nailed It series. He said, you know, Pastor Adam, you're the best that we have. He said, I mean you're really I'm just reading his email here. You're really, really good. And I think it would be really valuable for our church to hear from someone with your extensive knowledge, your wisdom, your passion, your deep wisdom, your dedication to following Christ, and your profound wisdom. <laughs> my reply email to him was, David, I, I'll consider it, but I need to first confirm with my agent and look at my calendar. Uh, the demand for me as a preacher is pretty high these days, being one of the best in all. So... <laughs> Okay, so, I'm oh, oh, sorry, that just felt really awkward to even say. And full disclosure, David didn't even ask me to preach this message. He asked Crystal, uh, <laughs> okay? Um, and then I was supposed to do another one, but I couldn't do that. I said, hey, I don't want to say no, but I can't do that one. Can, can, we, can we swap? And she's like, sure. And I was like, thanks for letting me be JV uh, for, uh, for Chris. So, um, so um, today, we're wrapping up this series called Nailed It. And we're talking about pride. Could you hear the pride as I read that perfect email that David wrote about me? He didn't write that. He's in Hungary. He can't deny it, though. (laughs) But the other thing that we're talking about, yes, I shouldn't have said those things, but the other side of that that we're talking about is we're talking about judgmental attitudes. So yes, I demonstrated pride, but you should not judge me (laughs) in how I read that. So um, we are going to enter into this, uh, this idea and this focus on pride. And so uh, I begin with a quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. He wrote this, pride makes me unteachable. Pride makes me unteachable. Pride is especially difficult to deal with because the fact that we are proud can actually keep us from receiving any kind of teaching about the very issue that is holding us back. And it's ironic that our pride is what makes it difficult for us to see that our pride is a problem. And so today we're going to be in Luke chapter 18. I would encourage you and invite you to open your Bibles and to turn with us in Luke 18. Um, it's great that it's up here on the screen. Um, we have recently, uh, actually not recently, this entire school year, uh, we, we've switched away in youth ministry. We no longer put the passages on the screen, um, we want them to bring their Bible to church. And I would encourage you, that's still going to be on the screen, um, bring your Bible to church. Make notes. Maybe God says something to you that you want to underline or circle something, and then you could follow back up with that throughout the week, Um, but invite you to turn to Luke chapter 18, verse 9, and as you're turning there, uh, here's just a little bit of history of this passage. Um, This is the 29th parable that Jesus tells. So in his ministry, this is parable number 29, and it's told during the week immediately preceding Holy Week. So in our series leading up to Easter, as we talked about Holy Week and all the things that took place, this is something that Jesus teaches teaches in the days preceding Holy Week. He has not yet entered triumphantly into Jerusalem, into the city, and here he is knowing fully what is coming in the coming week, knowing the beating that he will endure, the isolation that he will feel, all of the things that he will carry for us in that week, And the heaviness of that, here Jesus still is teaching the importance and the value of having a healthy inward relationship with Him rather than an outward display of self righteousness. And so that's where we enter into as we read from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this passage to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Would you pray with me? Father, as we enter into this time of looking at your word, Father, I pray that you would speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit and your presence in this place, that we would encounter you, Father, I pray that I would decrease, you would increase, and we would hear directly from you, and we would leave here changed because of your presence in our lives. Whatever it is that we, as as Crystal Crystal prayed earlier, whatever it is that we carry into this place, would you remind us of the hope and the freedom that is found only in you. You say that we are to take your yoke upon us, for your yoke is is light, and it's easy. Father, there are so many things in our life that maybe are weighing us down. We thank you for the freedom that we have in you. Bless these moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So pride can be tricky right? Uh, pride can be a tricky, tricky monster. There's, there's healthy pride, and then there's unhealthy pride. Um, healthy pride can actually push us to do our best. Uh, as an employee, you should have healthy pride in, in your work. As an employer, you probably want your employees to have healthy pride in the sense that they're, they're striving to do the job really well. When we take pride in our work, we're, we're striving to do it well. As parents, uh, we can take pride in our children and their accomplishments, uh, I'm really proud of Eli, my seven-year-old, uh, for the work that he's putting in in baseball. And I just gotta tell you, he is crushing the ball. Like, okay, you see how tricky it can be? Like, I can take pride in him, and then it's like, like it's, then pride can become bad, okay? Uh, but he's putting a lot of work in. The kid is literally always in the driveway with his mitt and ball in hand. I'm really proud of Hannah and the care and the genuine compassion she has for other people. I'm especially proud of Lydia as she has discovered recently that she can charge her older brother Sam to clean his room because he hates doing it and she likes cleaning. Um, I'm proud of her for being the little entrepreneur there. Uh, This is not the type of pride that we're talking about though. Unhealthy pride places confidence in self, not in God. We say things like, look at all the good I'm doing. I'm not like that horrible person over there. And one of the markers of pride can easily be when the majority of our statements begin with I, me, my, myself. That can be a dangerous, slippery slope where we start to fall down and we're focused on our own doing, our own accomplishment. And this type of pride has long been an issue. But I think if we take a step back and we look, I think this type of unhealthy pride has become rampant in our communities recently, even within the community of Christ followers. And as we dive into this passage, look who Jesus is actually telling this parable to. He says in verse 9, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Contempt. See, he's talking here to people who were focused on their own righteousness, and they they believe that they were better than others. Can I just ask you, uh, do we see this anywhere in our culture today? Do we see this judgmental, this type of judgmental attitude? There are so many different ways. A couple that just kind of came freely and and rather easily. Uh, Think about political division. We say things like, well, I can't believe that that person would vote that way. Maybe it even boils down to economic division. Well, if that person would just get a job. And we pass judgment on people not knowing their whole story. We base it through a lens that is focused on ourselves. And I would say, in fact, that as a culture, I believe we have become experts at finding ways to divide ourselves from others. Yet, if we remember what Jesus says just a few short days from the text that we are studying today, as he's gathered in the upper room with the disciples, washing his feet, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, the Son of Man, here he is, and he's washing the disciples' feet, and he tells us in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, a new commandment, not a new suggestion. Hey, would you consider this? Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another... By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, I've said it once, I'll say it a couple more times, pride can can be tricky because I know myself that I can even find ways to be prideful in the ways I strive to live out this passage in John 13. Well, that person's actually pretty difficult to love, but because I'm such an awesome Christ follower, I'm going to love them. (laughs) And so we can very easily, when we're not exercising discernment and caution, pride can creep in. And we say things like, well, I'll I'll do it, but it's only because I'm so awesome. And we don't do it. Jesus is not washing the disciples' feet and saying, you guys, look at how awesome I am. He's setting them an example. As I am doing, you should also be doing this. And often our snobbiness toward others is directed towards people who aren't even Christ followers, It's bad enough within the church building, within the body of Christ, but sometimes our snobbiness and our pride and our arrogance is directed toward people who aren't even Christ followers. And rather than displaying the love of Christ, we pass judgment on people who don't even proclaim Christ as their Savior. We take the position of judge and look down on them because of their sin. The extremely great theologian, Reverend D.D. D. Culp, that's uh, Reverend David Dion Culp, <clears throat> uh, for those who didn't know, in our prep earlier this week, he said this, don't be surprised when lost people do lost things. So we are to love people to Jesus. We're not to give an excuse for their sin. There's, and this is not the message today. We're not supposed to say, well, your sin's okay because you don't know Jesus. Like They're still sinners, but they need to know Jesus. So how do we care for people? If we're trying, if we're in our attempt to win them to Jesus is through our pride and our own self-righteousness, it will fall short. We are to love them, and we're to live a life different. And let's continue. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And so in this parable, both men prayed, but both men did not come to God the same way. The Pharisee went up to the temple to pray, but he did not, in fact, pray. He spoke with himself, not God. Notice how he prayed. The Pharisee, standing by himself, he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He is standing all alone. He has isolated himself from everyone. And I believe that this is a dangerous place for us as Christ followers, when we isolate ourselves from community and from others. And here's something that I have learned about myself. I have blind spots. Nobody say amen. Okay, Uh, I have blind spots. I have things, I have weaknesses in in my life and things that I may not be aware of. There are things that I am keenly aware of, but there are other things that I am not. And I'm thankful that I have men around me, and I've I've got my wife, I've got my family, um, and they will, in a loving way, they will say, hey, this is an issue, or hey, have you thought about this? I've got a group of guys that I meet with on Wednesday mornings we've been meeting for five years, and we share our struggles, we share our things, and they have permission to speak into my life. I'm thankful for that community. I'm thankful for those who, who care genuinely enough about me to say, hey, brother, what about this? And so the things that I struggle with the most, I'm glad that I have people who have my back, who um, they, they, I value and I trust them, and they're there to point me back to Jesus. Not to just point out my sin, but to point me back to Jesus. And when I isolate myself, it's easy to slip into prideful and self-destructive patterns. But notice this in verses 11 and 12, that in this short prayer in verses 11 and 12, the Pharisee used the word I five times. And here's the thing. I think it's entirely possible to address our words to God, but actually be praying to ourselves. Or, as we find with this Pharisee, praying to those, if we're praying out loud, praying to those who might be within earshot of our prayers. This happens when we focus on ourselves and not on God. We exchange thy will be done with my will be done. And if we credit ourselves for a supposed great and spiritual walk with God, then it's an easy thing to despise another for their supposed low and carnal walk with God. And in this prayer, what we see is this Pharisee, he is praising himself in comparison to the other man. I've also found that it isn't hard to have a high opinion of yourself when we compare ourselves to other people. And we tend to um, make it extra easy because we, we don't compare ourselves to the best people around us. We tend to pick out the worst in our own mind, the worst sinner in the room. We say, at least I'm not like that person. And that's the exact words of the Pharisee. I thank you that I'm not like other men. And as Christ followers, our focus ought to be on becoming more and more like Christ, not on becoming less and less like other men. Christ is the standard that we are are held against, to measure against. And In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul tells us this. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned it's interesting that this is coming from the pen of Paul, this incredible man of God who had an incredible conversion experience, and is, um, he was traveling the world and helping the early church to get started. And it would be of, of anyone, if we were to measure against someone who was maybe doing it right, it could be Paul. But here are his words, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. And notice also what the Pharisee says, in verse 12, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. The Pharisee is right to do these things. Many followers of Christ, uh, we, have, we, we, we ignore this teaching on fasting, and we, we skip the discipline of fasting, and many choose to give God a tip rather than a tithe. Fasting and tithing should not be avoided. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. The Pharisee, he wasn't wrong for fasting and tithing. He was wrong for announcing that he fasted and tithed. In fact, the Bible teaches that these things are to be done in secret. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, Jesus teaches these two things. He says, When you give, let your giving be done in secret. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. So in our doing of the things, we are not to draw attention to ourselves. We might say something like, well, I added an extra zero to my tithe check. You're like, yeah, but brother, you added the zero after the decimal point, right? I know, okay. Uh, when we draw attention to ourselves, when we draw attention to the things that we are doing, then we are not obeying what God has called us to do. We are to tithe. We are to fast. We are to do these things in obedience to Christ, not as an outward display to other people on how superior we are. If you're fasting, no one should know. I've actually been at meals with people, invited people, hey, let's have a lunch meeting. And we go to lunch and I order something and I'm like, hey, what can we get? Oh, I'm not eating. I'm like, we're having a lunch meeting. And it's like five or six t- times, that I'm like, oh, just get something. It's okay, it's okay. Like, okay, fine, fine, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm fasting and I've ruined it for them because I kept pushing the topic. We're not supposed to announce those things. The purpose in our, in our fasting is to draw closer to God. I'm giving this up so that I can focus on you. By exalting his own works, the Pharisee revealed that his hope lay in in his not being as bad as someone else. He lacked any sense of his own unworthiness. And how easy it can be to focus on the things that we do and the things that we don't do and mistakenly believe that those actions are enough to justify us before a truly holy God. One scholar wrote this about the Pharisee. What the Pharisee said about himself was true. His trouble was not that he was not far enough along the road, but that he was on the wrong road altogether. And now let's take a look at the tax collector in verse 13. We contrast this with the, compare this to the posture of this Pharisee. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Pharisee proclaimed his, his own power and deeds before God, but the tax collector proclaimed his need for the mercy and the compassion of God. But notice what he is doing as he's standing there. He's, he's, a far, he's far off as well, he won't lift his eyes up, but he's, it says he beat his breast. This idea um, was that he was so aware of his sin and his heart corruption that he hit at his own heart as punishment. The verb tense here, beat his breast, describes a continual action, suggesting that he kept on doing it as if to say, oh, this wicked, wicked heart. And the Pharisee thought that he was not like other men, that he was better than them. The tax collector also thought he was not like other men, that he was worse than them. And the Greek word translated here, be merciful, it's the word that is for an atoning sacrifice. The fullest sense of what the tax collector was saying is that, God, be merciful to me through your atoning sacrifice for sins because I am a sinner. Many scholars actually believe the the proper translation here where we write, he, he says, be merciful to me, a sinner, is actually he said he would utter, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. His awareness, his keen awareness of his own sin, he identified himself as the worst of all sinners. I am the epitome of all sinners. And of the prayer uttered by the tax collector, Charles Spurgeon said this, in the original Greek, the words, are, are, the words used are even fewer than in the English. And he says, oh, that men would learn to pray with less of language And more of meaning. And then verse 14, I tell you this. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Of the two individuals who entered the temple to pray that day, my guess is that there was one who entered thinking that he was justified. Yet it is the one who recognized his sin and deep need for mercy that walked away actually justified. But beyond his humble actions, notice the humble words of the tax collector in this last part. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He admits, I am a sinner. Have you ever confessed those words? Have you ever confessed, God, I am a sinner? Have you experienced the freedom that comes when you put pride to death, humbly admitting your sin? Have you accepted the fact that your righteousness, the Bible calls, dirty rags? All of our good, all of the things that we can do, the things that we, as Christ followers, ought to be doing, they, are not to, it, it, they should not be done as a measure, an attempt to try to measure up They are done out of obedience as we follow after Christ. But our own righteousness, our own things that we do, the Bible calls them as filthy rags because they are not enough for us to gain salvation. True humbleness is seeing things the way that they are. The Pharisee saw himself as something great when he wasn't. The tax collector saw himself as a sinner needing God's mercy, which he was. And as we close, here are a few things for us to keep in mind. Number one, I believe that pride blinds us to our need for forgiveness. Pride blinds us to our need for forgiveness. It can keep an unbeliever from believing, but pride can also keep a believer from humbly following. We get so caught up in our own good doing and the things that we're doing well that we forget that we are a sinner in need of forgiveness, Pride can very easily lead to a feeling of self-righteousness, causing us to think that our actions and behaviors are somehow enough to gain access to heaven. When what we're told is that the only way to the Father, the only way to heaven, is through faith in Jesus Christ and the atoning work of his sacrifice upon the cross. Pride blinds us to our need for forgiveness. The second thing is this, be careful not to take pride in your humility. I told you, pride can be tricky. (laughs) In our desire to be humble, it can be easy to become prideful in our humility. I had someone once say, when we were talking about this, they're like, "Well, it's kind of like this. Like, hey, have you seen my humility trophy? (laughs) We focus so much on our humility that we start to then boast about our humility. And then right back, we're at the beginning and we're being prideful in our humility. It's this slippery slope. And so we need to be cautious we need to not take pride in our humility. And lastly, from the postures and the hearts of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, we learn this. A posture of pride says, hey, look what I have done. But a heart of humility says, I can't believe what I have done. It's just a subtle difference a posture of pride, saying, "Look what I have done and all my accomplishments." The heart of humility, saying, "I can't believe the things that I have done." So the reality is, which will you choose? Will you choose a posture of pride or a heart of humility? And I believe, friends, that this is a daily choice that we must make. If I'm being honest with you this morning, on my drive to church, um, as I'm thinking through the sermon and I'm thinking okay, and I'm praying, um, there was someone who was tailgating me. And we've talked about this before, that me in the car, it's, this is the, the area where I'm, I'm still working, I'm getting better. <laughs> but I sometimes feel my, that, that it's my duty to teach others how to drive from behind my steering wheel. So that I'm driving, I had to go to the Stevensville campus first morning, so I'm driving along the road, and I'm not, I'm not going below the speed limit. I'll confess to you, I also wasn't going the speed limit. I was going a few over, like four, in case there's any police in the room. Um, but as I'm driving a little bit over the speed limit, this car was right behind me and they were tailgating me. And I, I did not, I have the tendency like, well, I'm gonna go below the speed limit, just see if like, that's just wrong, right? That's, that's wrong. This person, but they sped around me as soon as they could pass and they, they were flying. And inside I was like, how dare that person? Or what's wrong with that person? I don't know what's going on in their life. I don't know why they have to be somewhere faster than they were. But in that, I was passing judgment on this person. I was looking down on them. Is it potentially dangerous? Yes. But even in that moment, I, was, I recognized and I felt this instant conviction of God saying, like, hmm, we're still working on this pride and, like, judgmental thing, aren't we? And two weeks ago, we taught, I taught about pride to our high schoolers. I'm like, yes, Lord, I'm still, I'm still learning. The, the worst part was when we got to a stop sign, <laughs> the person right in front of me was that car still. They didn't actually make any ground. Uh, <laughs> so, But we have to choose the posture that we're going to display for the day. Are we going to display a posture of proud of, of pride? Are we going to walk around being boastful? Should you take pride in the things that you do? Yes. But if our, our focus is that, uh, and our hope would be that people would see the things that we do, that's that posture of pride. We need to walk around with a heart of humility. And keep in mind that true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but simply thinking of yourself less. Our worship team is going to come up and we're going to end a little bit differently today. And as they come, I would just invite you to pray with me right now. Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you that the standard that we are held to is not other humans. The standard that has been set for us is your son and what he did for us on the cross. In our endeavor to follow after you, Jesus, may we humbly follow after you. May we come knowing that we are imperfect people who have sinned. Just as the tax collector confessed, we are sinners in need of forgiveness. We are in need of your grace and in need of your mercy. May we not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Father, as we live in a world that needs to see and experience the love and the hope found only in Jesus, may we display that through our actions. And as we read in in Matthew chapter 5, may our light so shine among men that they would see our good deeds, but praise our Father who is in heaven. May all the focus and all the attention and all the glory go to you where it rightfully belongs. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as I stated at the beginning three weeks, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, a couple months actually, we started this series uh, off or this, we got the idea of Nailed It by nailing these sins to the cross. <coughs> but in the, the weeks following that, we learned that while maybe we experienced the freedom in the moment of writing whatever it was that we wrote and nailing it to the cross, Maybe it's something that we still continue to hold on to, to still struggle with. And so as we wrap up this series called Nailed It, what we wanna invite you to do is today, we wanna invite you to leave your seat and to respond. At the tables to the side, we invite you as these makeshift altars. We'd invite you to come to the altar. And in there, uh, on the table, you'll find a bowl and it has these little masonry nails. And we invite you to to take one of those from the bowl. And if you wanna kneel there at the table at the altar and you want to pray, about whatever it is. Maybe you don't remember what you wrote down and nailed to the cross months ago. Maybe you wake up every morning thinking about what you wrote down because you are still struggling with it. Whatever it may be, be it a new struggle or one that has been recurring, would you take one of these and in the moment, take it and hold it in your hand and pray, God, would you remind me that when Jesus went to the cross, he nailed that sin to the cross for me? and then take it home with you. Place it somewhere you would see it regularly. Maybe when you wake up, maybe it's on your nightstand. Uh, We've heard from like back at Good Friday, two years ago, Scrabble pieces, and people have been saying like, I still have my Scrabble piece, I know what the word is, and you see it. Place this somewhere where you will see it daily, and may you be reminded that whatever it is that you struggle with, Jesus went to the cross and paid the payment for that sin, nailing it to the cross so that you could experience the hope and the freedom that is only found in him. It's the victory that we have and that's available to us. So I invite you now just to stand and as we worship and as you feel led, would you just come and grab a nail, take a moment and pray. And may we walk out of here in victory knowing that it has been nailed to the cross.